0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. What is the middle class anymore? Also, Ontario's accessibility crisis, the year that was in Hamilton and Burlington, helping Good Shepherd, and a retro TV holiday party. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900
0: CHML. A new survey is out that shows most Canadians believe they are in the middle class. So we're asking you, do you think you... Are in the middle class, however you want to define it. We're going to get into it in just a matter of minutes. 67% of you right now, a few dozen votes are in, 67% say, Yeah, I think I'm in the middle class. 33% say, No. Maybe you think you're under the middle class. Maybe you are the upper crust. Vote now on X at AM900CHML. Send me a text at 905 645 3221 or via email. Maybe you have a definition of the middle class. Rick at 900chml.com is the email address. How should we define the middle class in this day and age? Well, here's conservative leader Pierre Polyev's definition.
2: If you're broke, if you're having trouble paying your mortgage and feeding your kids and gassing your car after eight years of Trudeau,
1: your middle class.
0: Well, a political answer, yes. He's not exactly wrong. Although, if you're broke and can't feed your kids, are you in the middle class? Well, maybe, according to Mr. Polyev. This new survey is out from Polera, and it shows that, yeah, most Canadians consider themselves middle class. But are they? Dan Arnold is the chief strategy officer for Polera Strategic Insights and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Survey highlights, did anything stick out to you as being uh, surprising or you thought, yeah, that's a number that I thought was going to be uh, what it showed out to be?
3: Yeah, so I mean, this is, this is a poll that Polaris has been doing for about a decade. So, you know, in some respects, you know, People saying they're middle class, that hasn't changed a lot over the years. Every time we do this, there's always a large share of Canadians who say they're middle class. What really stood out this time, though, is just that the middle class optimism is crashing across the country. Um, Every time we do this poll, we ask, are you optimistic about the future of the middle class? It's always between... 45 to 55%, kind of around the middle in terms of optimism, Uh, and this time is down to 30%. So I think uh, middle-class Canadians are feeling a lot less optimistic about the future compared to uh, where they were a couple of years ago.
0: What can you point to as to the reason why? Is it inflation? Is it housing? Is it a mix of both?
3: Yeah, I think, and and we've done some other polling, we have a a poll we do regularly called the Rage Index, which measures how angry people are (laughs) about different things. And I mean, right now, people are upset about interest rates. Uh, You know, if you're renewing your mortgage, it's costing you a lot more money than it did before. And people see um, owning a house as part of the middle class dream. 56% of Canadians say to be middle class, it's, it means owning a house and that's a lot less attainable for people than it was a few years ago. But even if you've already paid down your mortgage, you know, it still costs you a lot of money to fill up the gas tank. It still costs you a lot of money to fill up the shopping cart. And I think these post-COVID economic pressures that are just barreling down on everybody is is really having an impact on the psyche of uh, the middle class right now.
0: Does Is the middle class a moving target? Like We don't have a definition about what it is.
3: Yeah, and that's kind of why we started doing this this survey because there's no stats Canada definition that says if you make this much money you're middle class. So we kind of want to see just you know how Canadians self-describe as middle class. And you know what we see on this survey is that you know if you're making a lot of money, uh, people making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year who are you know in the top five percent of income earners, ninety two percent of them still consider themselves middle class. But even if you go down to people making twenty to fifty thousand a year, uh, which is barely above the poverty line. Uh, six and ten of them consider themselves middle class. So, you know, I don't think there's a a real definition based on income. I think it's more a, a state of mind uh, than anything else. And most people like to think of themselves as being middle class because there's pretty good connotations about being middle class. That's why politicians always say, I grew up middle class. I grew up in a middle class house. Uh, so, you know, for that reason, I think Canadians like to think of themselves as being middle class, irrespective of how much money they're making a year.
0: This is also why politicians are speaking to the middle class because it's the biggest, you know, range of, of voters, I would guess.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you've got 78% of people who consider themselves part of the middle class, you can say, I'm here to help middle class Canadians. And everybody feels like you're talking to them personally, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I think that is something that's appealing for politicians. The challenge is though, if you have somebody who makes $20,000 a year who consider themselves middle class and somebody else who makes $200,000 a year who considers themselves middle class, um, you know, the policies that you're doing to help the middle class, quote unquote, are probably not going to impact both of those people the same way, right? So it's hard. It's easy to to talk about helping the middle class. It's a lot harder to help the middle class because it includes so many people from so many different types of life situations.
0: Last one for you have the cost pressures that we're feeling today when it comes to inflation, interest rates, mortgage rates, cost of living. Has that changed the definition or people's perception of where they land?
3: uh surprisingly no so i'd say you know pessimism is up uh we've got a lot of people who feel like middle class is not attainable for them or for their kids compared to a couple of years ago in 2020 we asked parents do you think your kids can grow up to be middle class if they work hard it was eight and ten parents felt that way now it's down to five and ten parents so i think there's a lot of pessimism about the middle class but when you ask people the basic question are you middle class That really hasn't changed. So maybe people feel the middle class is sinking. Maybe people feel what it means to be middle class is not quite as wonderful as it was a few years ago. But you still have a lot of Canadians who feel like they are middle class.
0: Interesting uh, stuff from Polaro Strategic Insights. You can check it out uh, in your favorite search engine online as well. Dan, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us.
3: Anytime. Have a good day.
0: You too. Should mention as well that median after-tax income in this country, and at least in 2021, the last data that we have from StatsCan, shows that it's just over $68,000 a year. So if you're earning in and around that figure, you're definitely in the middle class because that is the median after-tax income.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Did you hear about this story the other day? It's a new report on the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, which apparently was kept hidden for months by the provincial government, and it says that Ontario has an accessibility crisis. What in the world is going on? David Lepofsky is the chair of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. David, welcome back to the program. How are you? good morning hamilton i'm doing good the word crisis seems to get thrown around um for a variety of issues whether it's homelessness or housing and in some regards it is accurate there is a crisis when it comes to accessibility in this province when you hear the term accessibility crisis how do you feel about that
4: um i feel it's tragic but it's completely accurate the number of people with disabilities uh, in our province is growing and will keep growing. And the action to ensure that they uh, can fully participate in public transit, in healthcare, in education, in everything life has to offer, if anything, seems to be slowing down when we need it to speed up. So it is a crisis, and uh, the independent review of the Disabilities Act conducted by Doug Ford's handpicked reviewer uh, rich donovan accurately and correctly said this is a crisis and it needs a crisis response by the ford government
0: and you know when when we also hear that this was kept under wraps for months i mean this report was filed back i think it was june Uh, what's going on is this because the ford government was dealing with other crises at the time
4: well but unfortunately, the the person who could answer that, Doug Ford doesn't say a word about it publicly. So let me just explain to, you, to your, to your uh, listeners. Uh, the Disabilities Act was a law. It's an unusual law because it's one that didn't come from Queens Park telling us that's what we need. It came from people with disabilities around the province that organized in the grass at the grassroots from 1994 to 2005. I had a privilege of of leading that campaign as a volunteer. And we won this law, and it promised us an accessible Ontario by 2025. That's just a year away. We're nowhere near there. But when, when it was passed, we were all worried. Well, we, don't, we need safeguards. We need checks and balances. So built into the law was a requirement that every three or four years, the government had to appoint an independent reviewer to say, how are we doing? What more is needed? And when the government receives that report, they are legally obliged to make it public. So Doug Ford got it last June 6th. And what did they do? They get a report that said, this is a crisis. You need crisis action now. In fact, you need to set up a crisis committee to run for six months, chaired by the premier. So gets that in June. What does he do over the six months? Is there a crisis committee? No. They bury the report for six months. So literally, instead of six months of crisis action, we get six months of concealment contrary to the requirement that the report be made public. To let you know how absurd this is, when it looked like this was going to drag on and on, I filed a Freedom of Information request to get it disclosed a month ago. The government's response is, uh, they said, oh, it's coming soon. But they said, we can't reveal it because it would disclose or Mike could disclose cabinet secrets well guess what i've read the report since it's been made public it doesn't disclose any secret cabinet discussions what so th- they'll bend over backwards to to suppress it rather than making it public when it that really hurts people with disabilities across the board.
0: What this report does disclose is that the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act is failing people with disabilities. There's no enforcement or legislation that helps uh, people. There is uh, a lack of data and research um, in this act. Uh, there's a lack of urgency on the file from both this and previous governments. And there's a lack of accountability. I mean, it is just a dog's breakfast
4: in terms of inaction. Now, the problem is there are solutions to all of this. Some of them are in the report we, we support some of the reports recommendations. We, we disagree uh, strongly with others, but the good news is that the ones we disagree with, that doesn't take away from the ones we agree with. Uh, but, but the point is the government's had roadmaps on how to fix this. They got one in 2010 from the first independent review, another unamplified one in 2015 from a second independent review, a third one in 2019 from David Onley, who did the third independent review, and we, for the, the coalition I lead, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance, we've been giving the government recommendations for the 17 years that this act has been on the books on what to do to speed up progress. Unfortunately, too often, those recommendations are not followed. So we know what we need to do. We know what the government needs to do. And uh, the Rich Donovan independent review report is correct in saying it's a crisis. It needs an urgent uh, crisis response. The last thing we needed was six months of government deep-sixing the report.
0: In our final 90 seconds together, now that this report is out
4: and the details are out, what what do you expect the government to do? Well we don't have any expectations because we've seen how much they are prepared to drag their feet. We know what the government, we need the government to do, and we'll keep campaigning for that. We keep offering, for example, to meet with Premier Ford. He keeps turning it down. He's the only premier in two decades who simply refused to meet us. Uh, we've offered to meet with the accessibility minister, uh, Raymond Cho. He, over the past couple of years, has declined to do that too. I've met him earlier than that, but now it's all radio silence got a letter from him recently, but it was all just, you know, we're doing a great job. We're not, you know, not taking us up on our offer to meet. We got to sit down face to face with these folks. If we're going to have any hope of getting them to take some new action.
0: Absolutely. David, good luck in this battle. And, uh, uh I'll offer you a best of the holiday season as well. Same to you. We're certainly not giving up. We, we know what it means to fight uphill, and we're, we're on it. That's great to hear. David Lepofsky is the chair of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance. Thanks again for the time. Take care. Uh, yeah, lots, lots to digest there and a lot to do. There's a laundry list of stuff to do to make this crisis go away. It doesn't, have, it doesn't even have to be a crisis. And the fact that this report was not publicized, not made public, not acted upon for months is very disappointing extremely disappointing.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: It's that time of the year when we look back at the year that was and we look forward into 2024 and uh, we'll try to figure out what is going to happen. 2023, I will say, was indeed Burlington's 150th anniversary. Great celebration was had. What were the big stories in 2023 in Burlington and what does the city's mayor have on her wish list for 2024. Well, she joins us now here on GMH. Marianne Ward, mayor of Burlington, also forgot to point out that Burlington was the most livable city in Ontario and fifth in Canada. So congratulations on that.
5: Yes, it was. Thank you. What was the exciting day? was,
0: (laughs) Was that the biggest achievement of 2023? Or is there something else you want to highlight? (laughs)
5: Well, that's a pretty big one. And I think it's because of uh, what a great city we have and great people. The topic of 2023, of course, was housing, getting more housing built, getting permits faster. Uh, You know, Burlington has applied for the housing accelerator fund. We have a $40 million application into the federal government. We hope that will be, um, if not under the Christmas tree in the next few days, certainly something we're looking forward to in 2024. But it's really about making sure that we can accommodate all of the new people coming to Burlington, choosing Burlington for all the reasons why all of us chose it, and that young people can afford a house and people can stay in our city. We want to be welcoming and inclusive.
0: Housing is a big issue in in basically every community in this country. When it comes to homelessness, we're certainly seeing that in Hamilton with tents, encampments. Is that also the situation in Burlington?
5: We are seeing it, yes, and we do have... uh, Because we're two-tier, our Halton region looks after social services, housing, homelessness. They do have a a whole approach that they uh, deploy when they see folks who are struggling and on the street. They will send folks out to talk to them, let them know what supports are available. We have agreements with hotels to put people up for the night while we're getting uh, transitional and long-term housing for people. We do have a shelter here in Burlington for women and children. Uh, We also have a shelter for men. in Oakville that is uh, that serves Halton region. So they, uh, you know, there's no reason for anyone to have to spend the night on the street and we can do better. And we do provide those supports.
0: Do you feel that you're making progress on the topic of homelessness?
5: It's a growing issue, unfortunately, and it's very linked to mental health and addictions and it's a health issue more than a housing or homelessness issue. And this is something that has been front and center for Ontario's big city mayor's caucus, where the 29 mayors of the largest cities in Ontario, I serve as the chair of that organization, and we have made this our number one priority, but we're treating it as a, a health issue which is exactly what it is, because when people are struggling with homelessness, they will end up uh, often first in our hospital system. And, you know, they're simply not equipped for, uh, you know, all of the needs that people have. And it's not a long term solution. So we've been working with uh, Michael DiBolo at the province, with um, uh, others to you know to really resource this properly because if you can solve it upstream before people slide into homelessness uh, it's better for the individual but it also uh, doesn't require near as many resources as trying to deal with it well down the road when people have uh, out of desperation pitched a tent
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Marianne Meadmore, the mayor in Burlington. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. Last one about housing. I know that uh, you are a staunch supporter of protecting the urban boundary as it is. And we had the the Mm -hmm. Greenbelt flip-flop. We had the urban boundary flip-flop as well from the (laughs) provincial government. What is the plan in Burlington to build more housing? I know you want to build it faster, but where are you looking?
5: We have always seen our three go stations as key areas. There's a lot of underutilized land, uh, either vacant land or single story uh, retail with acres of parking. It's it's land that can be deployed to create really complete communities. And that is more than housing. It includes community centers, parks, jobs, services, all of the things that a community needs. And so we are planning, uh, we have a, a strategy to accommodate the bulk of new growth around those areas, but also looking at our aging retail plazas that uh, could have housing on them and areas like uh, fairview plains our corridor so we're we're really wanting to put the the most housing the densest housing near transportation corridors because then people don't always need to get in their car to go everywhere and we need to make sure that those communities you can walk out your front door and really walk to just about everything you need otherwise we're creating vertical suburbs and traffic chaos so we are planning Uh, complete communities around those GO stations. And we know we can accommodate uh, our pledge is 29,000 units by 2031. uh, Our plan will go well beyond that over the next 20, 30 years.
0: As 2024 approaches, what pressures does your city need to address apart from housing, which I think we've
5: covered? Financial is a huge one. And we are still trying to work with the province to roll back the devastating effects of Bill 23 and the cuts to development charges which pay for things like transit and parks and community centers and roads and sewers and all of that 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 a community needs. If, If that bill goes through, Uh, the way it's been uh, introduced, it will devastate municipal finance to the tune of, uh, and this is a study been done by Association of Municipalities of Ontario, about a billion dollars a year. Uh, The province has said they will keep us whole. We don't have those details, but in in truth, they can't afford that either. (laughs) So The system is working. Uh, Financial pressures are massive with uh, inflation, with the cost of construction going up 30% or more in the last 10 years. So trying to make sure sure that we have a financially uh, sustainable city and we can make sure that things are in a state of good repair without putting everything on the backs of taxpayers is is a real key. And we have joined forces with uh, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, AMO, to ask for a new municipal uh, funding framework uh, because we can't continue to fund all the services uh, that a community needs on a 100-year-old model, nine cents on the dollar. That's what property taxes are. They are being asked to fund things that they never uh, were intended to do. So we need to rethink that and uh, and really drag ourselves into the 19th century, but even better, the 20th.
0: <laughs> Madam Mayor, we'll have to leave it there. I, uh, I offer you and everyone in Burlington a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll chat with you soon.
5: Thanks a lot. That
0: is Marianne Meadmore, the mayor of the city of Burlington. Coming up, we're going to find out what has happened over the last 12 months in the local business community and what is ahead in the new year. That's next on GMH on 900 CHML.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Lots going on in Hamilton's business community over the last 12 months. As we know, with with any, whether it's business or education, housing, there are challenges that need to be overcome what are some of those well let's ask our next guest his name is greg dunnett he's the president and ceo of the hamilton chamber of commerce and joins us now on gmh greg welcome back how are you
2: i'm doing great rick
0: how are you fantastic That a lot of amazing things that happened in this city from a business perspective was there one highlight in 2023 that sticks out in your mind
2: oh that's that's a great question um, picking picking one highlight is probably going to be difficult. I mean, I know again, I'll speak on our end of the chamber. I know we had a fantastic Hamilton Day there in November and, and that program uh, celebrating shopping local was very important to us. But I think, you know, if I if I look at the amount of uh, business permits that were, were signed up, I think there's, you know, in the, in the city, I think we set an all time record again this year. So that for me is a. Uh, a real positive sign about the future opportunities for Hamilton as a, as a community and a business center, Uh, that would probably be, so at the grand scope, you've got really positive things for the future. And, you know, I think on the granular level, the, the day-to-day shopping local and I think Hamiltonians are continuing to make sure that they're supporting the, the small business owners and hopefully are still doing that this week as we head into the, Last few days of holiday shopping, which I know I've almost got all mine done, but still got a few last minute things to do.
0: <laughs> I'm in the same boat. And I'll, I'll say this, you know, driving around town and looking at just the parking lots of the different shopping centers, it's, uh, it looks like it's going to be a robust December shopping season. You know, we could probably throw the Grey Cup in there as well. You know, yeah, fir- first Ontario re- uh, center renovations going to begin soon. Uh, LRT construction is, you know, slowly going down the rails. A lot, lot's happening in 2023.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, and it's a great, great point on the um, on the Great Cup. I, uh, you know, you talk to that's a that's a great follow up, and that's embarrassing on my part as someone who had the privilege of running it in 2021, not uh, pointing to that one. But <laughs> that's one where you talk to some small business owners in the downtown core, and they'll say they had their best day, you know, of in their history, and often by I think the Saturday of Great Cup there was by five, six o'clock. So, you know, I know uh, tourism is always looking at identifying and bringing in these large sporting events. We've got the Canadian Open coming in next year. So those those opportunities to drive and support local businesses are are so important. Uh, and then, you know, the, uh, the team at First Ontario, what they've talked about in terms of bringing in um, major concerts and, and creating that, you know, even if it's that one night economic impact. And if you look at the, the, what Taylor Swift has been able to do all around the world right now, though you can see the impact of one night of concerts. And yes, I think LRT, you know, I think what I'm hearing is we're not yet seeing a lot of the positive work that's being done. It's the, uh, it's the really important stuff of the implementation of the infrastructure and that, that, that is starting to get prepared and, and, and set up, but that's, that's as important. That's a very important part of the overall LRT project. So uh, I know we all would all like to see that one visually uh, moving forward. And and we're going to keep pushing on our end at the chamber for that to happen because it's important and making sure the businesses know along the line and those that are going to be impacted about the opportunities there, but also that, that we keep that moving forward because that's an important one for the long-term growth and success.
0: Absolutely. As well. so
2: Greg, thank, Greg? Thanks for the assist, Eric. Rick.
0: You got it. Greg Dunnett is uh, the president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. You can find out more info on uh, the chamber and its members online at HamiltonChamber.ca. Is the number one issue, as we reflect on 2023 and even looking ahead to 2024, is the number one issue still inflation when it comes to a business perspective, the cost of doing business, is that still at the top of the heap?
2: I think is you know I think if we look at kind of the um, the big issues that our business community is facing, I think uh, costs are definitely one of them. And you know, you know, we're working with our partners at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce to continue to push for the extension of the CBA loan because you know that's the the impacts of the pandemic are still being felt. Right? We we talk about inflation, we talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Talent retention, right? I think we're seeing um, all of those pressures that are impacting uh, our community. Housing costs have gone up. The the talent we're losing good talent out of this community, and we need to continue to uh, make the investments that are necessary to keep it here. Um, we're all working. Everybody's working on transitioning to net zero. I think that's a really important component of it. Um, and then I think those those are two of the big ones. And then again, listen, I think, I think we we continue to want to make sure that we have uh, a safe community. And I think, you know, the the safety of our downtown continues to be uh, something that we have to address and and, and it's important that we work to make sure that everybody is safe, but we have to keep that top of mind and uh, continue to push that forward uh, and make sure that there are, we're, we're identifying opportunities to keep everybody safe. Uh,
0: and, and on that downtown safety note, I mean, we had the chief of police on uh, about a week or so ago just talking about the core patrol that was instituted because there were some safety concerns that were brought up by some downtown business owners. And it, it sounds like that core patrol is making a big difference. And uh, we'll see that continue hopefully uh, within the new year. Greg, we'll have to leave it there. Wish you all the best this holiday season. And we'll talk to you in 2024.
2: Thanks, Rick, and have a great holidays, and uh, good luck in shopping local.
0: Absolutely. Greg Dunnett, President and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. And, yeah, there's still some work to do. And, And you mentioned a good point, too, is... You know, that retention aspect, that recruitment and retention aspect of recruiting new business, new business owners to the city, easier said than done, and then keeping them here, making sure that they are successful. Always a challenge, not only here in Hamilton, but uh, every community here in the province. You're
1: listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: I also want to invite you and encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to give where you live and donate to the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope campaign brought to you by Leggett Drive Life and Michael St. Jean Realty. When life changes, all the money that you donate is delivered to local organizations and programs that help less fortunate children in the Hamilton-Burlington area. And it's easy to do so. Go online to 900CHML.com. Click on the Tree of Hope or Children's Fund photos, and you can donate via PayPal or Canada Helps, or grab your cell phone and text the word DONATE to 30333 and make a 10 or $20 donation. Well, one of those organizations that benefits from your donations is Good Shepherd, and joining us from Good Shepherd is Kathy Wellwood, the Chief Development Officer. Kathy, good morning. Welcome back to the show. How are you?
6: Good morning, Rick, and thanks for having me this morning. It's, it's really a a pleasure to uh, talk to you and uh, just to share with you uh, what you guys at the CHML is doing for us and uh, the beautiful community that always helps us. Well, thanks for so. waking
0: up with us this morning. How do donations from the Children's Fund help Good
6: Shepherd? Well, I want to first tell y- say thank you to you guys because um, CHML, the Children's Fund, has been helping us for over 30 years. And... Um, it's just been incredible, and we couldn't do what we do for the community um, if we didn't have your uh, support. So I want to firstly say thank you. Um, you know the holidays can be really difficult for many people because they're dealing with poverty and homelessness and the pandemic, you know, and the rising costs, everything, all these uh areas of challenges have really had an effect on our clients and have them struggling day in and day out but uh, with your help and with the other people in the community helping us we uh we do bring joy uh to them at this special time of year um the gifts that you have given us uh well we just had our wonderland event on sunday at convention center and we had around uh, 1,500 families. Now, it was down, and we don't understand why, because the need is so great out there. But we served about 1,500 families at the convention center with a meal, and we gave out the toys that she gave us. And um, not only the children got something, but the moms and dads and the grandmas and grandpas got a gift. So we felt really good about that, and so thank you again for that. Um, but, um, the marketplace, uh, has been running, and you know where that is. That's on, on Cannon Street, on 155 Cannon. We've been running there since November 20th. And again, those toys that you, uh, and the gifts, the gift cards and all of that, and the money, the monetary, we, uh, put those at the marketplace on Cannon Street, and uh, because we've had about 4,000 households register there this year. That's the most risk that we've ever had um in in our history um and it and it just shows you what the situation out there is but we're taking care of them and thank you to chmail children's fund for helping us do that so um it's going to end this week uh, of course because christmas is just around the corner but we're doing it and uh we thank you again for that so
0: well we are it's,
6: it's exciting times rick but it's It's
0: sad times, too. Well, that is 100 percent accurate because it is it's the holiday season. We're trying to get in the spirit. There are many in this community who can't afford to buy a Christmas meal or get those presents for their children. And they turn to Good Shepherd for that assistance. And as you mentioned, I mean, the the need is greater than ever. And I know we we, I think we say that each and every year. But this year, especially with the high cost of living, you mentioned, you know, we're three years post pandemic now. But. For many, the situation continues to get worse, and it's great that Good Shepherd is in this community helping so many people.
6: Oh, you're absolutely! I was just down there yesterday. I like to stop in every so often, and we have people that are there for. uh, They have Carey now. Different corporate groups are down there, and they're helping serve the people and. And answer any question, and it's just a beautiful place to be because you're helping people constantly, and just talking to these people that are having tough times. You know, they're asking, what do you think my daughter would like? What do you think my son would like? And and because we have such a vast variety of toys, it really gives us pleasure to be able to say, well, what what about this? What about that? And let them make the choice. You know, so it is. It's just wonderful. But you know, the need keeps going, my friend. And um, I just want to let you know and let everybody else who's listening this morning like it, it just doesn't stop at christmas time it, we have to keep going and we continually need help with food and gently use clothing so um you know and the, and the major types of food we need down there is soups and canned meat and tuna and you know the staples peanut butter and cereal and especially diapers for the little ones so um I, we Just because Christmas is almost over, Rick, we we want the community to know, please continue to help us because... it's just not one day. It's an ongoing. Um, it's an ongoing need in the community.
0: Absolutely, Kathy Wellwood is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kathy is the chief development officer at Good Shepherd. You can find them online, GoodShepherdCenters.ca. You can also make a donation on the website as well. Um, I referenced, you know, now being a difficult time for many, but yes, you are correct in which. This doesn't go away, you know. Christmas no. is over, you know. The problem yeah. doesn't disappear, and yeah. a, and a big part of this is the homelessness issue we have in this community. And I know that Good Shepherd centers, uh, shelters are operating at over capacity. Is that still the case?
6: Uh, oh, absolutely. And we're always, yeah. We've got twenty eight shelters in this community right now. Twenty eight and uh, every one of them needs something (laughs) and so we do need the we do need the help from the community continually but um yes uh, we're always trying we don't turn anybody away rick we do not we we find a way to take care of these people so if you come to our door we're going to find a place for you and until we find a permanent place so i'm proud to work for good shepherd because we make sure that they're taken care of, and we want them off the street, we want them kept warm, and we want them fed. So thank you, CXML, thank you, the Children's Fund, and thank you, Rick, for for everything that you do. And Merry Christmas, Rick.
0: Merry Christmas to you, Kathy. Appreciate the time, and uh, best of luck uh, during the holiday season. I know it's always a challenge.
6: Thanks, dear. Take care. God you luck.
0: too. Uh, Kathy Wellwood awesome. is the Chief Development Officer at Good Shepherd Online, goodshepherdcenters.ca. They do so much in this community. I was going to say a hidden gem. I don't know if they're hidden. They're certainly a gem. You know, over 300 new households a month are relying on Good Shepherd for groceries, just food. And 58% more hot meals over the last year have been served. 80,000 in the last year alone. That is incredible. It just showcases... Uh, The need that is out there.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Is the season, as we know, for gift giving, holiday treats, having a joyous time with family and friends. And a big part of that over the years has been Christmas movies and classic TV shows. And if that gets you into the Christmas spirit, I invite you to head to the Westdale Theater this afternoon for a retro TV holiday party. TV critic Bill Brio is going to be your host, and lo and behold, Mr. Brio joins us now on GMH. Bill, good morning. How are you?
7: I'm fine, Rick. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. So this all starts at 1 o'clock today at the Westdale. What can we expect?
7: Well, it's a little bit different. You know, I, I what I do, and I, we did a few more of these, a few of these at the Westdale uh, in the fall. I have a 16-millimeter projector, and I collected all my life 16-millimeter prints of classic TV shows, So I have prints of the Dick Van Dyke show and Bewitched. And these are their classic Christmas episodes. Dick Van Dyke only ever did one. They did one, and it was 60 years ago, in December of 1963, this ran. And it was the Alan Brady Show Presents. And it's one where Dick Van Dyke and Rob and Laura Petrie and Buddy and Sally and Mel, they all put on the show. And Carl Reiner plays Santa Claus as Alan Brady. It's a fun episode. And uh, that one has some vintage commercials from 1963. The Dick Van Dyke Show was uh, sponsored by Kent Cigarettes, if you believe it or not. Wow. So there's a couple of uh, cigarette ads in there. And uh, hope no one gets hooked. <laughs> and then there's uh, some other promos for shows of the time, like McHale's Navy and F Troop and uh, Combat. Uh, Yeah, Leave It to Beaver and uh, Dennis the Menace. That's part of that mix. Then the second reel is an episode of Bewitched from 1964. That series, first of four Christmas episodes. And this one has Billy Mummy, who people might remember him from Lost in Space. He was Will Robinson. Oh, wow. And uh, he is uh, adopted by the Stevens. He's this troubled troublemaker kid who uh, Samantha manages to convince that Santa Claus really exists. (laughs) And you mentioned these are on 16 millimeters. So what does that mean? Yeah, like, okay, so back in the day, some of us of a certain age might remember that the teacher would turn down the lights and wheel in a projector and show on film, Hmm. films in a classroom. So that's the classroom gauge. 16 millimeter is thinner than the usual movie gauge, which was 35. This is ancient history, of course, but <laughs> but it's basically film projected on a screen. Nowadays, everything's digital in a mm. theater, but it's the old way. And I'll be in the auditorium at the back with the projector, and you'll hear the clickety-click, and you'll see the image flashed on the screen. So it's very much uh, an old-fashioned way of uh, enjoying. It's a different medium, but it's how these shows were originally bicycled to different affiliates all over north america you know maybe there would be 300 prints of the dick van dyke show going all over to different cities wow. and uh that's what i'll be projecting and as i say some there's barbie commercials in the bewitched ad uh, the bewitched episode there's a lot of uh, fun little nuggets
0: uh, dick van dyke recently turned 98 and he had a funny well not maybe a funny comment but he had a, a notable comment in which he said if he knew he had lived to be 98 he would have taken better care of himself but r- regardless i mean he has been he's just been amazing i didn't know number one he was a dj before he got into comedy and tv yeah. and movies and broadway but he's had a phenomenal career
7: Yes, and he took pretty good care of himself when you consider. And, uh, you know, his biography, one of his autobiographies is titled Keep Moving, and that's his philosophy in life. But yeah, there's on Thursday, tomorrow night, there's a special on CBS, and it's Dick Van Dyke, 98 Years of Magic, and everybody's uh, on, and they're performing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and songs from Bye Bye Birdie and Mary Poppins. So you'll see Julie Andrews, Uh, Rob Reiner, Carl Reiner's son, uh, all kinds of people in song and dance paying tribute to Van Dyke, who's there with his wife, Arlene, enjoying the show.
0: You can also check out uh, Bill Brio's retro TV holiday party this afternoon at the Westdale. It begins at one. You can get your tickets online at thewestdale.ca. I also understand there's going to be TV trivia and some prizes involved.
7: Oh, Rick, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yes, indeed. People who come, we're going to ask some TV trivia questions. Test your knowledge of TV in the 60s. And people can win a year's subscription to Paramount Plus, the streaming service. Those are the guys that have Frazier now and sh- all kinds of shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, a leg lamp from Retro Festive. You know, let's support local business. These guys have been making Christmas special for about 20 years now in Oakville. And uh, they're uh, kindly donating a leg lamp, which you might remember from the classic Christmas movie, A Christmas Story.
0: Yes, that is a prize and a half. I mean, it's fragile to begin with, but that's a great prize. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great prize. Right.
7: Right. Good for you. I understand there's a cartoon from 1933 that you're going to show as well. Let us sneak that into, Yes, Rick, it's a, a very, imagine, 1933, 90 years ago. Wow. So Disney had the early rights to Technicolor, and this is a, an early Christmas cartoon from that era. It's in breathtaking color. It looks like it was made yesterday, so it's a really beautiful print.
0: That's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be a lot of fun this afternoon at the Westdale Theatre. Tickets online at thewestdale.ca. I look forward to our next get-together, Bill. Appreciate the time today. Take care. Bill Brio, television critic, journalist, author. Brio.tv is the website to head over to get some pretty cool content when it comes to television. dot tv. The Westdale is going to be rocking today with this retro TV holiday Party. There's been so many amazing Christmas specials when it comes to television, and you know, the, the ones that they're going to show today, including The Dick Van Dyke Show uh, and Bewitched. Uh, you uh, think about, you know, the, the Simpsons that have done so many amazing and funny uh, Christmas TV specials, uh, Friends, Seinfeld, you name it, uh, the best shows out there put on some uh, pretty magical.